Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. And here's one of those hyperlinks. This is an Old Testament hyperlink here that we read and just sends us into a pretty large narrative in the Old Testament, but it's a simple scripture that actually has a lot to say. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. He blessed his sons. Now, we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 11. We find ourselves starting here in verse 20 in a new kind of section of this chapter that is kind of characterized as the blessing verses. Here in verse 20, next week in verse 21, the week after in verse 22, you're going to see this kind of generation to generational theme of each father passing on a blessing or just simply blessing their sons. But, but what's going on here in these blessing verses? What, what is this? Why is this even an act of faith to, for, for Isaac to bless his sons? What does that even mean? Well, it's important for us to make sure that when we are reading the Bible, we remember that though it's written for us, the Bible wasn't written to us. It's written to certain people in certain contexts with a certain language with certain concepts, even about things like blessing. Today, the word blessing is one of those kind of catch-all Christianese words that we use to describe beautiful weather or getting that job you wanted or just feeling chipper in the morning. How are you? I'm feeling blessed, brother, okay? But the idea here of Isaac blessing his sons Jacob and Esau was a very weighty and real thing, especially to the readers that the author of Hebrews is writing to. This is filled with rich Hebrew culture and history, the father's blessing over his sons. Uh, This was a a, a ceremonial event, usually towards the end of the life of the father, where through the father's verbal pronouncements, he was passing on some heavy things to his children. The blessing, again, was a ceremony that included these often three key things, a father's blessing. As the father's there in his old age, and there there is his legacy before him, he had this incredible weighty opportunity and responsibility to, with his words, provide some first profound encouragement. That's often what happens at a father's blessing. There in his bed, he's speaking words of life and encouragement over who these young men are called to be. That is, by the way, the greatest blessing that you can give your kids is not just make them educated and athletic and savvy, all right, help them thrive in the world. The, the greatest blessing that you could give your kids is, is in the realm of what's spiritual, ultimately. What does it profit a parent to give their kid the, the whole world? But lead them to forfeit their soul is what's, what Jesus says, the language of Jesus. And so uh, this first, a, a father is going to provide profound encouragement over who his sons are called to be. It's really significant. Uh, There also was a a personal inheritance aspect of the words of of the Father's blessing. At his blessing, he's literally like dividing his goods, and he is is pronouncing who's going to get what. I mean, we're talking like this is the Father's will and testimony. Back then, these words served to execute whatever the Father's will was after he would pass. So there would be personal Uh, inheritance that would be promised over the children. So profound encouragement of who they are in in God and who they've been called to be, just the the words of a father to a son. 
You have instructions about who gets what, personal inheritance. Often in that culture, the firstborn, he had something called a birthright. And has the, any firstborns in here? You firstborns, okay? Any middle children up in this house? Let's go, we special, all right? The firstborn with the birthright, he actually received a double portion, usually, of the inheritance. It's, it's interesting, and when you get more into the life of Jacob and Esau, you see some interesting stuff play out with that. But the third, which is, I think, one of the most significant in regards to a father's blessing, it, it, ent it entailed words of prophetic destiny. Prophetic destiny was not just, this is, you know, spiritually some encouragement about who you are, but prophetic destiny spoke to what the future held for that child, what the future held in God. It was speaking to the future. It was speaking to God's blessing over their future. So th this is what a father's blessing entailed. And I want to say that this is maybe kind of foreign to us, this idea of the weight of a father's words and the blessing. And I think in large part, that's because we live in a culture where words every day are meaning less and less. There's just so many words everywhere, right? All day long. It's like different social media platforms. You know, some have like 140 characters or less, so it's like limiting the words a little bit, right? But like there's, there's, there's not a, a scarcity of people's statements and words that are put out there today. And so because we live in a culture where like just speech and comments and talk is so rampant, we have expressions today like talk is what? Cheap. In our culture, we don't place a tremendous amount of weight on someone's words, on like even something like this, a verbal blessing, because maybe we're just kind of, we're so insincere and we're, 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 we're consistently unfaithful to what we promise as a culture. And so we've kind of dumbed down the weight of words and we say things like talk is cheap, but in this culture, that didn't exist. There's an expression even today, I think it comes from like gangster world, but that's a thing. Um, but it's, your word is what? Bond, right? Your, your word matters. There's weight to your word. And in that culture, it wasn't just that your word was important. Your word was everything. You, you, you couldn't like e-sign the document through Gmail. You know what I'm saying? Like your word, it counted for everything. The words of a father, father, a father words matter. <laughs> the words of a father in passing on a blessing to his children, they were irrevocable. He, he, a father couldn't go, I bless you, and I pronounce encouragement and inheritance and destiny over your life, and this is what it's going to be. Actually, wait, never mind. No. What's that? You didn't mow the lawn? No, it's going to your brother, okay? Now, that, that didn't exist in that culture, again, because of the weight of a father's word. So when we read a verse like this, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. I want you to get that in your mind. There's this ceremony, this responsibility that Isaac as a father has to pronounce blessing, inheritance, and prophecy over his sons, their lives, and their future. Now, this was true of any Hebrew father. But this was especially true of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There was a unique responsibility that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had as fathers with sons because they were the ones entrusted, listen closely, they were entrusted with 
passing on the lineage of God's blessing to Abraham. This is really important. We've been looking at this stuff for the past few weeks. Abraham, we know in Genesis chapter 12, we see kind of the start of his faith is God shows up to him in his normal, comfortable context, and God calls Abraham out of his comfort zone because he's calling him into some new cool things. Those cool things are made up of what's called the Abrahamic promise or the Abrahamic covenant. These promises that God makes to Abraham. Abraham, here's what I have. Here's my plans for your life. God tells Abraham, I will make you a great nation. That's cool. And I will bless you. That's also cool. And I will make your name great. You will be Father Abraham. They will sing a song about it years later. And notice this, and you shall be a blessing. What I'm going to do for you is something that I'm also going to do through you. And the verse goes on to say this. In, in the next scripture, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And here's the, the, the incredible covenant that God makes with Abraham. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God is looking for a family through which he could bring his salvation plan to the world. This is how it always is in history. You have Adam and Eve. That family whole thing didn't work out. Let's start again with Noah. Okay, things are getting a little dicey. Let's start again with Abraham. And it's a family, a simple family. It's incredible that God's plan of salvation comes to the whole world through a family. And God says to Abraham, I'm going to use you. I'm going to bless you. And, and through your line, through your lineage, all the families of the earth, even those families in South Florida, are going to be blessed because Jesus is going to come through your line, Abraham. The greatest blessing that heaven could give. The Son of God is going to come through your line. Now, something significant about this promise that God makes to Abraham is in Genesis 17. He kind of, God over and over again shows up to Abraham and reassures him of his promises. Because, you know, back then the people of God needed God to remind them of the things he spoke to them, right? Obviously, that's not just a back then thing. We need that. To, I need that all the time. Like, God, oh, wait, well, how do you really feel about me? All right, what have you really promised? And so God, like time and time again, is, is, is showing up again and reminding Abraham of his word and his promises. And in Genesis 17, 17, as God is, or 17, 7, as God is doing this, there's a key detail I want you to notice. God says, I will establish my covenant between me and you. And notice this, and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after. So, so God is telling Abraham, my covenant with you has a lineage. It, my promises to you, they, they're going to be passed on to your descendants. So Abraham had this responsibility. He had two sons. One was Ishmael, who was the son of his maidservant, not his wife. It's a gnarly story. We looked at it a couple weeks ago. Um, and the Bible basically says about Ishmael that he's the son of the flesh. He's not Abraham's legitimate spiritual son of inheritance. Abraham has another son through an incredible miracle, his wife Sarah, who's barren because she's of, of much old age, of many years. Sorry, that was the language of scripture. At that age, remember Abraham had said he was as good as dead. That was Abraham at that age in terms of his productive abilities. His wife, many years, all right? But nonetheless, God opens her womb, and this miracle child comes. His name is Isaac, and God tells Abraham, okay, my covenant to you, it's now going to go to Isaac. He's the next in line. You are to name him as the heir of my promises to you. It's pretty cool to think about this. Like all that your father has, 
is now coming to you. All these promises that God gave Abraham, they're now going to pass to Isaac. And now I want you to think about where we are today in these verses. Now, listen to this. Isaac has grown up, and he is now facing the same responsibility as Abraham. Are you guys with me here this morning? All right. Hello, right? It's a lot. How do you think I feel? I had to study for this, okay? Isaac is now in the same shoes as Abraham. He now has that same weight of responsibility. He's got to pass on the blessing to his sons. Now, what's especially unique about this is how the verses kind of describe it. And this is kind of the story of how this goes. Um, this is what makes it really complicated, you know. It'd be easy if it was like your firstborn. Whoever's born first, that's who you pass on the line to. But Rebecca has twins, wombmates, all right? Now we got an issue. We really need to hear from the Lord. Who's going to get the blessing? Now Esau comes out first. He's the first one out, all right? Don't you love that when you ask twins, like, who's older? And like, oh, them by eight minutes or whatever they say. I don't know, all right? I love twins. I'm just, I'm weird, and I love twins. I think they're cool. Anybody a twin in here? I'm just curious. Awesome. Cool. I love, we love twins. Um, <laughs> Jacob and Esau, they're twins. Jacob comes out first, or Esau comes out first. Jacob comes out second. But I want you to notice here in this passage, Jacob is named first here. So when you follow the story, what you, what you see here is God starts to do, give backwards blessings. In that culture, the first child that came out, even if he was a couple minutes older, he was the firstborn. He had the birthright. He got the blessing. But you see in the story of Jacob and Esau that God says, no, Isaac. Though culture might say this is the person that gets it, and though you might even, we're going to talk about, you might even prefer, you favor this one son of yours, and you think he should get it, God chooses Jacob out of his own sovereignty. In fact, this is what the scripture says in Romans, quoting out of Malachi, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. That's kind of a, might seem like a heavy verse. The language here is literally Jacob I have accepted. It looks like loving and cherishing. And as a result, Esau I have rejected. And it might be perceived as hate. hate. I rejected one, and by doing so, I've I've I've, sorry, accepted one, and by doing so, I've rejected the other. This is a principle from Romans, a principle from Scripture, um, that God makes sovereign choices. I'm not going to spin your head around and get you to wonder like how, how that makes sense. Um, Spurgeon says that the free will of man and the sovereignty of God are two parallel lines that only perfectly intersect in the mind of God. And if you try to intersect those, you'll just go cross-eyed. You'll be like, okay, I'm trying to do it. Here's what we, here's, but here's, like, at the end of the day, you just go, well, what's true? Here's what scripture teaches. God makes sovereign choices. Because he's God, and he makes choices. Now, he doesn't select Jacob because there was something about Jacob more lovely than Esau. And that's where a lot of this bad ideas can go in the church where we're like, oh, of course God chose them. I mean, compared to them. You know, it's like, duh, of course he chose me, you know. Like that dangerous stuff, all right? Like we think we're choosable, all right? Uh, in fact, Romans also says this about this in, in the previous verses. It says, even before the children were born, 
And before they had done anything good or evil, it was according, God chose according to his purpose, according to the election might stand not of works, but of him who calls. What this is saying is that God chose Jacob, who actually culturally we see was the rejected one, the one that God chose. And it was all out of his loving, good wisdom. He chose him. Not, it wasn't based on his performance, okay? He didn't look on and go, okay, you know, they would be really good in my family. I see them as a valuable asset. We're going to pick them. Them, they're just going to take up space. We can't pick them. No, Jacob. That's not what he did. It was just out of his grace and goodness. It had nothing to do with their performance. He chose Jacob before they had done anything good or evil. But this is God's sovereign choice. He's sovereignly in his wisdom and goodness and eternal grace. He selects Jacob, the younger to be the heir, to be the heir of the blessing. And so that's why in this verse, even though Esau should have received that and, and been the heir, been, been named for that lineage, their names are switched. The proper order would be Esau and Jacob, but God loved Jacob and he rejected Esau in his sovereign choice. Now, if all you have is that little, you know, simple story I just told you, and this verse, you might be like, well, great job, Isaac. What a guy, Isaac. His name means laughter. <laughs> what a guy, all right? Isaac blessed Jacob. Good job. He blessed Jacob the way that God intended him to do. Now, the problem with that is the backstory, okay, which includes a lot more uh, steamy details, all right? So do you have your Bibles? Go to Genesis 25. Let's, let's, we're going to read some of the Bible today. That's the thing you want to hear in church, by the way. But if you go to Genesis 25, let's look at the backstory here. And I want you to see how much more is going on here. Okay? Um, one of the best gifts the Bible can give you is the assurance that you're not alone in the mess of life. Okay? You're not, you're not um, isolated and you're not unique if your life is messy. You know what you are? You're a human. You're a human on a journey with the rest of us trying to do our best to fight our own desires and flesh and follow God's good and perfect plan. And, and though Hebrews, Hebrews is giving a very generous description of Isaac's involvement by blessing Jacob as God instructed. When you read the narrative, you see a whole nother story. You see some more information that shows that that Isaac wasn't just like immediately submissive. Like, yeah, God, normally I would give it to Esau, but you want Jacob? Sure, I'll bless him and give him the double portion instead. You get a whole other story, but so let's read the context here. Uh, so before they're ever born, I just there's a real, some really cool literature here I want us to see. Isaac and Rebecca, they're married, and they're pleading, pleading with the Lord because she's barren. They're praying, God, open her womb. We want to have a child. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebecca, his wife, conceived. We're going to see she's got... Double for her trouble, all right? She prayed for, for a baby. God's like, I'll give you two, all right? So she has twins. Here's what it goes on to say. The children struggled together within her. Now, I, don't, um, I can't speak from experience, all right? Personal experience. I can speak from indirect experience, as I have been around this. That's as far as it got, around it. And I do remember the pregnancy process involving some of a struggle. There's a bit of a struggle, whether it's to get up, lay down, the baby kind of, you know, breakdancing in there. You know, it can, there, there's a lot going on. So you have two in the womb, and they're struggling together. And I just, like, I love, maybe because I just think my wife is, like, the cutest 
thing in the world when she's pregnant. Um, and this just kind of, babe, this kind of reminded me of you when you're pregnant. She's looking at me like, what are you about to say? Um, I love this. I love this statement by pregnant Rebecca. If all is well, why am I like this? <laughs> That's so cute. You're pregnant. Yeah, well, if all is well, why am I like this? Okay. I've felt this way before too, right? If all is well, why am I love that question. Why am I like this? Okay. So she went to inquire of the Lord. Now, she, the question she's asking is like, why is there such a struggle going on in the blessing of my womb? Okay. What's going on? So she doesn't know that she has twins yet. She just knows there's, there's something growing in there. Okay. The Lord said to her, now here's what God says to her. This is significance. Rebecca inquires of the Lord. And the Lord says to her, notice this, two nations are in your womb. Not just two individuals, but these are two individuals that are going to, uh, are going to be, they're going to have a legacy of two nations, two peoples. In the future, this becomes the Israelites. And let me know who else. The people of Esau are the Edomites. Two peoples, two nations that come from these twins. They'll be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And here's where God speaks about his plan. The older, who is often served by the younger and receives the father's blessing, he instead will serve the younger. Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. Jacob I have accepted, Esau I have rejected. I flipped the blessing. Now, now this is what God speaks to her. Now notice this. So kind of fast forward. When her days were fulfilled... For her to give birth, indeed, just as God said, this is one of the main themes here, just as God said, there were twins in her womb. What a beautiful moment there, of course. And the first came out, this is Esau, he comes out first, and he was red. Judah, my son, was, was red when he came out as well. Um, I remember we were like, he's like Blake Griffin, look at Judah, he's got red hair. He was like a, a hairy garment all over. And so they called his name Esau. So here's the firstborn, little hairy red guy, little buddy. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. He's like, I, I wanna, he's like riding the ski lift. He's like, I'm coming out of here, okay? So his name was called Jacob, or heel grabber. Isaac was 60 years, a, a, a ripe 60 years old when she bore him, bore them. It says, so the boys grew. Now they grow up. You got two twin boys. And they cannot be more different, by the way, because such is children, all right? Same is true in, in my household as well. I had two, and I was like, oh, there's only two kinds of human, right? Judah and Evie, two kinds of human. And then Penny came along. You're like, I didn't know that there was a human thing like that, okay? Um, that's my sweet little girl. She's three years old. She's a sweet little savage. Um, two, different, two different humans. Look how different they are. Esau, I want you to notice this. Esau is a skillful hunter, a man of the field, shopping out outdoors world, driving a land cruiser like Adam, all right? All right, he's, he's got a he's country music. Oh, no, I don't know. Okay, I'm just stereotypes, all right? You get the idea. He's, out, he's outside. His fingernails are dirty. He's, he's roughing it. Poor Jacob. Jacob... He's a mild man. He's a mild man dwelling in tents. So, so one is a hunter. The other is a homebody. Okay? One is a skillful 
man of the field. The other is more working on his culinary skills. He's in the kitchen. He's at home, all right? This is some interesting language here. It says that Jacob was a mild man. I think that's interesting. So this doesn't speak to like him not being masculine. That's not what this actually, the Hebrew here. Um, it, it also doesn't speak to him being unpoco. You know, he's not like a little like, hi, I'm Jacob. You know, like that's not what, and he's like, hey, I'm Esau, we're twins. You know, like, so that's not going on. The word mild means like um, just plain, like not a lot going on. Like it literally can, some translations take it as like blameless. Like there's not a lot, it's just kind of like a clean slate. So we would say like Jacob's vanilla is what we would say. Like, have you ever had mild salsa? It's like, why are we, do, why are we eating? Why are we eating mild salsa? Where, where are the spices? Where are the chips? You know, like, like think of it. This is mild. This is mild salsa. It's like, can I get some flavor? Okay. I want to sweat a little. So Jacob, he's not, the, the idea of this is Jacob is just unremarkable. That's the language. He, he can cook a good pot of stew, and he can fold a nice bed. But he's, a, he's not out there hunting. He is, he's an unremarkable, mild salsa dude, all right? I don't, I don't want to, you know, when I remember first reading this, I, like, in my head, I think of, like, Kip from Napoleon Dynamite. You know what I'm saying? He's just been at home chatting online with hot babes all day. That's not, that is not Jacob. Jacob is not Kip. He's just mild salsa. Okay, let's keep moving because the more we talk, the more Bible, okay? Now, I want you to notice, as this dynamic happens, there's two twin boys. They couldn't be any more different. One's a homebody, one's a hunter. Isaac loves Esau. This is the one that God is the firstborn. God said, no, he's not the one that's going to inherit the blessing. He's not the one that you're going to name as heir of Abraham's, Abraham's promise. But Isaac loved him because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So it's interesting, even the way they cook, like Jacob, we see he like makes stew. Esau, he's got like, he, he smokes his, he's got like a brisket. He's like bringing home the goods. So his dad, I love it. His dad's like, I love you. You make good food. <laughs> he like picks him. He's like, I like you because of the food you bring home after you hunt and the food that you cook. So you see this dynamic already in play. You see this preferential parent who is favoring one child over the other. The issue here is that God has selected the unlovely one. By the way, what an incredible picture of salvation. That God doesn't choose us and save us and love us because we're lovely and we're preferential. The truth is, in terms of what we can offer to God, we're all mild. The truth is, in terms of who we are before him, we're all sinners. But because of his love and his grace, before we do anything good or bad, he selects us and saves us. This is a picture of the gospel. You might feel like, man, I could never really be used by God or loved by God because I'm not like Esau. I'm not like these people that are so exciting and so spiritual. And um, the good news for you is that you're in good company. You are among those whom God chooses to everyone else's surprise. He usually chooses, the Bible says, the foolish things of the world. Like, look at Jesus and his disciples. Like, if, you're, if, you, if it's your draft class and you're trying to assemble the best spiritual army possible, you don't select the dudes Jesus picked according to human wisdom, but just the grace of God. The people that culture would reject, God says, I want them. I'll use them. I'll clean that up. I'll use that. Such a cool thing. Now, it came to pass when Isaac was old. Here's a significant story here. When, when Isaac is old and his eyes are so dim that he cannot see, 
we're going to see where, where Isaac's preferential heart towards Esau is now going to lead him into some disobedience and rebellion. Because God has said, even though you might prefer this son, Jacob is the son I'm choosing. But it came to pass when Isaac is old, and he's losing his vision, he couldn't see that, notice this, he called, his, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, my son, you can just go through that for me, Mike. He said, my son, and he answered him, here am I. Then he said, behold, now I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, go out to the field and hunt some game for me. And make me savory food such as I love, and, and we'll stop here for a second, and bring it to me that I may eat, that, I, that my soul may, what, bless you before I die. See what's going on here? Isaac's like, yeah, I don't really care what God spoke to my wife. I don't really care about God's choice. I don't really care about God's plans because I have my plans. And I'm about to die, and I'm not going to let this blessing pass to the second-born son who I don't prefer. So I'm about to die. Esau, come that I may bless you. This is direct disobedience to God's revealed word and God's revealed plan. Now, I want you to notice the family feud that ensues here. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. This is so unusual. Check this out. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make me savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Jacob, dad is about to bless your brother. I just heard him say that. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. The same assignment he just gave your brother, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take care of it. Then what you're going to do is you're going to take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. Go, in other words, go stand in the way and try to prevent this blessing from going to your brother and you're going to go there and you're going to try to inherit it instead. And Jacob said to Rachel's mother, look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man and I... I'm not so much, okay? Next verse. Perhaps my father will feel me. He can't see, but he'll touch me, and, and he'll say, he'll say he'll, I'll seem to be a deceiver to him. He'll know that I'm in here faking, and I'll bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son, and only obey my voice and go get them for me. So he went and got the goats, brought them to his mother. His mother made savory food, such as his father loved, then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of, this is the first Halloween costume ever, by the way. She put the skins of the kids of the goats, just totally normal, on his hands. And the smooth part of his neck. She wants him to have like manly, hairy hobbit hands, and she wants him to have like a Sean Connery chest of hair, okay? Then she, this is horrible. She, this is a total, this is deception. Then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and he said, my father, and he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Here's Jacob honoring his mother by dishonoring his father, a house divided, not a great dynamic. 
and lying and saying, I am Esau, your firstborn. Remember, chapters later, God's going to wrestle with Jacob and say, what is your name? Be honest with yourself. Be honest before me. I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me and gone out and got this food. Please arise and sit and eat of my game that your soul may, may bless me. I love Isaac's response. How is it that you found it so quickly, my son? Didn't I just dismiss you an hour ago to go hunting? And you're already back? You smell like a, a dead goat? And where's, literally, because he's got it all over him. And it's like, how did you get this so soon? And this is called a Christian cop-out, by the way. He said, because the Lord. Right? That's like what you say when you don't know what to say. Well, because God, okay? Because the Lord your God brought it to me. So now he's taking the Lord's name in vain. So he's using God to cover up his lies. This is interesting. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near. I can't see you. Let me feel you, my son, whether you're really my son Esau or not. There's like some sketchiness in the air. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, this is interesting, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. This is weird. Like, what's good? The guy can't see. And so he's like trying to touch, and he, but then he's like using his ears too. He's like, I hear Jacob, but I feel Esau, okay? And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother's Esau. So he blessed him. There, I mean, there it is. Like, boom. Like, such a significant, weighty verse just kind of thrown in there. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? He gives him a chance to tell the truth. He says, I am. Keeps lying. He said, bring it near to me, the food, and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him, with, he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. So he came near. This is still costume party action going on. He came near and kissed him, and he smelled the smell of his clothing. So he's gone from hearing, touching, can't see, but now he's, he's like, come here, let me give you a kiss. And then he takes a sniffy sniff, okay? He does. He smells his clothing, his clothing, okay? And he says, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field, which the Lord has blessed. I just picture, like, his, his face is like, ah, yeah, I smell like a goat. Um, but he's, he's totally believing it's Esau. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow. So here's his blessing. This is the father's blessing over who he thinks is Esau. And, and Jacob has snuck in to take that. May everyone, the masters, bow down to you. Be master over your, may you be master over your brethren. Let your mother's sons bow down to you and, and curse everyone who curses you. Bless everyone who blesses you. Um, as, as the story goes on, Jacob shows up and he's absolutely distraught. He comes in and he's like, here I am, father. I'm back from my hunting trip. And, and the dad's response to him is, who are you? you? Weren't you just here? He said, no, I'm, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau, this is after costume guy left the room. Esau shows up. He says, I'm here. I'm your firstborn. I want you to notice Isaac, it says this, Isaac trembles exceedingly. Now, the, the idea that comes out of this is that Isaac realizes that though he tried to thwart God's plan, there's this humility like, I rebelled against God, but God's purposes still came to pass. Who am I to rebel against God? There's like this, the fear of God comes over him. He trembles. Wait, what just happened? I just blessed the son. I got tricked into blessing the son that God said would be blessed, even when I rebelled against that. 
He trembles exceedingly and says, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I've blessed him. And this is, this is where he settles. And indeed, he shall be blessed. He's like, it's done. The blessing has gone to Jacob. Now notice this. When Isaac hears this, he cries with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, Bless me also, my father. So we might look at this, and, and, and there's some unique going, things going on that are kind of humorous, but there's a heavy weight to this. I mean, this is, this is a major, major moment in this family, in the life of this individual, of Esau. Um, and so he's saying, God, please bless me. And so God ends up blessing Esau. He passes his own blessing on to Esau, but it's not the primary blessing that Esau's birthright would have given him. It's a different blessing. It's a lesser blessing. He cries out for this. Now, this is a really interesting insight into Isaac here, who rebels against God, but then finally taps out and says, God, your will be done and not mine. Your plans and not mine. In fact, when you get to chapter 28... God blesses Isaac all over again. I'm sorry, Isaac blesses Jacob all over again. Now he's going to do it sincerely. So he goes from like fighting against God to here in Genesis 28.3, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples. And then he goes on to say this, and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you were a stranger which God gave to Abraham. So you see that here in verse 4. After all of this fiasco, after this huge family feud and Isaac rebelling against God, and in the end, it's sort of coming back to bite him and him realizing, him trembling, going, oh my gosh, I rebelled against God. I was going to bless the son that God had actually switched with my other. He comes to this place. He comes to this place. And he gives the blessing of Abraham to the son that God promised. Now, Hebrews 11.10, again, says, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Now listen, that's a lot. It's a lot to, to digest. It's going to probably require you go back and listen to that a few times, maybe read a commentary to kind of get some of the filler stuff there. But first and foremost, th this is such an important part of who we are as a community. This is a sidebar. This is like, this is like a comment about the sermon real quick, okay? As a community, we want to be led by the scripture. And so the, the reason why we do this is we want to make sure God's word is driving our direction. We open up a chapter and we go, okay, God, whatever it says, we're going to observe it and we're going to learn it. And instead of saying, hmm, what do we want to talk about? You know, what can we talk, what can we use the Bible to say? What we want to do as a community each and every week is we want to open it up and then read it, observe it, think about it, see Jesus and apply it. So that's what we're, what we're doing here in Hebrews 11. And sometimes that's going to lead us to verses like this. That's the verse today. What we did, that's it. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. But uh, even in a story like that, that's so comprehensive, it can feel like, well, what's the application of that? And so as, as I close out, I want you to think about a couple things from, from even that earful of what was going on in this narrative God's glory is on display in their faith. A couple key things that we learn in the context of this story in how God brought Isaac to follow him despite 
God's plan. The first thing we saw in this is we saw God's problematic plans. That's the first thing. Or you could say the problem with God's plans. Did you see that in the text? The problem with God's plans. What makes God's plans problematic? Well, it's not the plans themselves. The problem with God's plans for our life is us. Now, it's awesome to know, first and foremost, that God has plans for you and me. This age-old verse that we've heard over and over again, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, both you and your family. God has a plan, which is, by the way, the, always the best plan. If plan A could just always be God's plan, we'd be okay. Now, the problem with God's plan in my life is, is me, just like Jacob, or rather, just like Isaac. God had a plan, but Isaac got in the way of God's plan. Do you ever felt that way? Like, God, I'm getting in the way of your plan. Now, Often, this is the, the things that, that we tend to insert between God's plan and our lives. How, how, do, how do I sort of block God's plan? Or another way I thought of this is like, what are some of the hindrances in our hearts that prevent God's plan from happening in my life? What are some of the things that keep me, I should say this way, what are some of the things that keep me from following God's plan? Just like we see with Isaac. Well, first, our preferences, what I want. There's what God wills, but then there's like what I prefer, my preferences. You know, and it's hard, right? Because we live in a culture that's all about having as much as you can in your life tailored towards your preferences. Whether it's your, your, your smart thermostat at home that starts to get to know how, how you like the temp at a certain hour of the day. And it starts to go, oh, okay, it's nighttime, 72. Lundy House, 70 at nighttime. We're getting cold, all right? Some of you guys are like, that's hot, all right? But our whole world, it's, the world that we're in, it's all of technology is just moving more and more towards prioritizing your preferences. And this is how we can be sometimes with God. We can think of God like a, a smart device that's there to tailor himself to my preferences. And there's a principle we see with Jacob and Isaac. There's a principle we see in Scripture. This idea that God's plans... They don't revolve, for our life, they don't revolve around our preferences. Now, sometimes they involve what we want, and that's great. Like, when God's plans involve what we want, that's awesome. <laughs> but we got to make sure that we're not preference-driven. The danger of, of a preference-driven life, what I want, me at the center, rather than God, what do you want? There's what I want. You ever had to make a decision, and you're like, well, I'm pretty consumed with what I want. Let, let me take what I want, and let me surrender it to God. Say, God, here's what I want. You know what I prefer. This would be my preferred outcome. Even if, if Isaac said, God, I'll be honest, this is my preferred son. But here, I'm going to surrender it to you. I'm going to surrender what I want. Or, or how about this? I'm going to surrender what I think, our perceptions, what I think God should do. God, I think Esau would be a much better candidate to carry on the family blessing. And how often does our own perception, our own wisdom keep us from being open to something new that God would want to do or something different. Again, God's plans can involve your wisdom, but God's ways aren't subject to our wisdom. It doesn't have to make perfect, complete sense to us for it to be God's will. God, I believe it and I'll follow it when I agree with it. The person I think of immediately is, is Peter. When Jesus is like, I'm going to be crucified for the sins of the world, and he's like, he's all like 
by the way, puffed up because he just said the right answer. And he got like a ding, 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 ding. So now he assumes because he got one ding, ding, that he's going to get like 50 ding, dings. But he's a ding, dong. And so what ends up happening is he goes, Jesus, you shall not die. He like gets this moment where he like stands up to Jesus. And Jesus goes, get behind me, Satan. In other words, eh, right? Like, not a ding, ding. Why? Because, well, God, your will can only make sense if it agrees with my wisdom. I just want to tell you, there's been so many things in my life that I'm so glad didn't work out the way that I thought it should have. Ever felt that? Oh, my gosh. Thank you, God, for your, your wisdom. God, help me surrender my wisdom to your wisdom and your ways. Also, my presumptions. What I know. God, this is how it is. This is how it happens. The firstborn gets the blessing. This is how it all, this is how it is around here. Now, how many churches, that, that's like their famous last words. Well, this is how we've always done it. This is how it is. Okay, but what has God said, right? How many lives are like that? Well, this is just my normal. This is what I know. This is what's familiar. This is what's comfortable. And how does that prevent us? How, how, how has that become problematic in terms of God's plan? So, so we see God's problematic plans in this story. And I, I love this scripture in James. Here's what the Christian's heart should be exclaiming. James calls out anyone who's kind of operating, a Christian especially, who's operating with a kind of prideful posture towards God's plans by basically being preference-led, perception-led, or presumption-led. And he says, come now, come here, let's have a conversation. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, the sovereign self, we will, I will, my will, we will go to such and such a city. This is my plan, God. We're going to spend a year there. We're going to buy a cell, flip it, make a profit. He goes, whereas you don't know what, I love this, will happen tomorrow. Our wills aren't that powerful. Our wills couldn't have changed the, the, the course of circumstances. He says, humble yourself. What is your life? It is even a vapor, it, it, it is even a vapor that appears for a little while of time and, and then it vanishes away. Indeed, here's the, here is the, this should be the posture of the Christian's heart to God's plans. This should have been Isaac's posture. If the Lord wills, whatever he wants, we shall live and do this or that. Now, th this verse doesn't say don't make plans. It's not about if you make plans, it's how you make plans. Do you plan in such a way to where your plans are God? They are God themselves. They have to come to be. It's your wisdom. It's how it should be. Or do you take your plans and do you commit your plans to the Lord and trust in him? That's what the Psalms say. And is there, at the end of the day, is there a heart within you that says, you know what, this might be what I want. And this might be what I think is best. This is what I know and what I'm familiar with. but I'm no longer the sovereign Lord of my life and God's plans are much better than anything I could conjure up. So instead of any of that, I'll just say, God, whatever you will, here I am. This is the goal of our, of our lives, by the way, to grow in our surrender of availability to God's plans. How do we grow in that? God, help my heart be fully available and surrendered to your plans. Help me surrender what I want, surrender what I think, and surrender what I know so that your will can be done on earth as it is in heaven and not mine. 
It's always better that way. That's what we see in the story of Jacob. But we also see God's prevailing purposes. This is another main theme of this story. We see the problem that we tend to bring to God's plans. But you know what you see? You see this incredible truth that God has this special ability to accomplish his purposes in the world regardless of whether or not we cooperate. It just reminds us of who God is. At the end of the day, um, the purposes of God at the end of the age, despite evil, despite sin in this world, at the end of the day, at the end of the age, God's purposes will prevail. Despite how much culture fights against it. America is not the deciding factor as to whether or not God's plans and purposes are going to be fulfilled in this world. Would it be awesome if America played a part in that and surrendered to God's plans and purposes for this world? Sure. But compared to world empires in history, we're a little mild nation, okay? We're mild salsa country, all right? Compared, at the end of the day, the question is God's, who in your mind, whose ultimate purposes are you trusting in? And are you submitted to? We see that. Despite what Isaac tried to do, God said, the younger son is going to get the firstborn blessing, and he did. Because if God purposes, purposes it, you can trust in it. It's going to come to pass. The promised purposes of God, they will be fulfilled. We can trust in that. We can, we can rely on that. Also, that's really cool to know that God purposes things. That's awesome. That God is not just some disconnected, you know, absentee landlord who just kind of started the thing. And then he's like, I'll be back at the end. Keep up with that place. I'll check on you in a couple thousand years. No. He's involved in the details. He has purposes. He has plans for our lives in this world. And we see that in the end of the age, God's purposes always prevail. At the end of the age, the Bible says that one day every knee will bow to the Lord Jesus. Every single knee that has ever been constructed, every single human will bow their knee and surrender to the glory of God. Of Jesus. The question is, do we want to willingly bow our knee now? Are we willing to give our lives now and surrender to God's purposes? There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, it's the Lord's counsel that will stand. Psalm 33:11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Can I give you the best example of God's purposes prevailing? Jesus was the purpose of God before time began and before sin wrecked everything. In the book of 2 Timothy, it says that God has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Why did he save you? Why did, why did he call me? Well, it wasn't according to our works, but it was according to his own purpose and grace. You are saved today because of God's prevailing purposes. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that your purpose rebellion wasn't powerful enough to overcome God's purpose to save you each and every day? Aren't you thankful that your purpose to rebel against him had, was no match for the purpose of his grace to save your life, to call you according to his purpose that was in Christ even before time began? This is God's prevailing purposes. And lastly, and this is where I want our reflection to close, is God's patient posture. This is so important when it comes to the plans of God. Isn't it remarkable that after all of that with Isaac, he gets to be in the hall of faith? It's like, what? 
His disobedience is three chapters long. His obedience is two verses. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. Can you believe that? Could you believe that at the end of the day, the thing that God was pleased with wasn't that Isaac's faith was perfect, but that it was growing? Like, that's the thing that gave him joy. His faith was growing. It went through a process. It was an imperfect process. He didn't have faith in God perfectly, but he had faith in God eventually. And God looked on at that and said, that's faith. Like, that, that for me is so encouraging because most of the time I look at my life, and yeah, there's been some steps I've taken by faith, but I look at my own life, and I just, you ever just feel so far from the people of the Bible? Anybody else? Like, my, I wouldn't... By faith, Andrew, it's like, okay, like, you know, let's pick one thing out. I feel a lot of times it's like, if there was a chapter by doubt, that'd be my chapter. Like, by doubt, Andrew, you know. By a lack of faith, Andrew, okay. It's just amazing to me. It's amazing to me that from God's perspective, faith isn't always a majestic display. Sometimes it's a, a journey and a destination that he's pleased with as well. Maybe you feel like you, you've done nothing but but trip and fall your way through faith. Maybe you're like, you're like Isaac and that you and you know what you've done in your faith? You've fought against God's plan. You fought him. You're following him because you've been forced to by his love and grace despite you constantly fighting against him. And here's the message of the gospel to you today. God is patient with you. He's not frustrated. Like, where, where have you been? Finally, some faith. But he's patient with us along our way. He's patient. He walks with us. Like a father with a child trying to walk and get their steps. He's patient with us. He has a posture of patience and love and grace. Psalm 23 says that he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness and faith for his namesake. He reroutes us. You ever gotten off course, you got lost, and automatically... Tailoring to your preferences. That thing perfectly reroutes you back to where you need to go. That's the Lord. Aren't you glad that Siri doesn't go, you blew it, all right? You made a wrong turn. Now you got to do six laps in this neighborhood, and then I'll give you the right directions. I've done that on accident before, but this is God. Okay, here's where you've gone in faith. It's okay. Come back. Walk with me. Yeah, you've rebelled against my plan, but I, I'm bringing you to a place of Submission. This is the journey of faith that we see in Isaac. In just something as simple and also profound as him blessing his sons. We see the, the problem with those plans. We see God's purposes with those plans. And we see ultimately his patient posture. 